Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. You're listening to The Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Episodes of The Private Collector are heard first and presented ad-free by supporters of the show. To support the show and get access to episodes a year before anyone else hears them, support The Wicked Library on patreon.com forward slash wicked library or through a membership at thewickedlibrary.com. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Private Collector Season 1 Episode 1 The Library on the Other Side of Town By Aaron Vleck Cartwright and Enfield Detective Agency had shuttered its doors under what they call mysterious circumstances. After 25 years of dedicated service to New York City, we was kaput. What happened to my old buddy Doug Cartwright after the big set two of late 45? Well, that was the mysterious part. The part that left me doing hard time on the funny farm at Bellevue and looking forward to getting paroled to warm milk and making every night an early one. Doug had come to me one day all jazzed up, saying we'd finally landed the big one, our ship was on the horizon, and Soon, we'd be spending big time at all the swanky joints on Madison Avenue. See, he got us mixed up with that weird shit. The stuff that goes bump in the night and always comes back to bite you on the ass. The other side of town, that's what I call it. Run by the boys in the back room. 
The last I saw of Doug, he was heading back to our office just shy of midnight to grab some old book that our client, a guy I'd never even met, had left for us along with instructions on where to meet him to conclude our business. Doug was spooked that night, real spooked, like I'd never seen him. But he wouldn't say what was hopping, just that I had to meet him at the diner on 34th and Lex and would go from there to meet the client. Doug never turned up, so I headed back to the office. What was left of it, anyway. The place had been ransacked. That is, before it was torched and then doused with God knows what. What sent me off my nut was what I'd found on the floor, whimpering, half dead, and flailing around like a stuck pig. It sure wasn't Doug. But with all those extra parts squirming around in the muck on the floor, I didn't want to know what it looked like when it was still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'd pulled my thirty-eight and was about to dispatch the thing to whatever hell was reserved for that kind of high weirdness when the ceiling peeled back like a can of sardines and a star-shaped thing reached in and grabbed for me with its claws. I took a crack on the back of the head and woke up in Bellevue two months later. Two months after that, I got my memory back. I settled up with the landlord about the condition of the office and grappled with the fact that my partner was gone and probably wasn't coming back from whatever piss-poor grave or netherworld hellhole had swallowed him up. I shuddered to think that what had been on the floor of the office might have been our client. And that star thing. Who the fuck knows? New York was dead to me. So when I got a strange letter from my mother, a woman I hadn't spoken to in five years, asking me to go upstate and look after her stepdad, a man named Leviathan Roman I'd never even met, I wanted no part of it. But she'd said he had a big house, lots of money, and was basically a vegetable in a wheelchair. And I guess that changed my tune. A little extended R&R on somebody else's dime might just get me back on my feet. I headed upstate the beginning of summer and spent the first six weeks nosing around and scoping out the old boy. What was left of him. As Mom had said, he was a man in a wheelchair with nobody home inside an emaciated frame that looked like Methuselah. We hadn't shared so much as a word besides my meet and greet each morning when I left him his breakfast that was always eaten by the time I came back to clear it away. The house was one of those rambling old monsters, but Leviathan kept all the doors locked, except the kitchen, two of the bedrooms, and a couple of sitting rooms. The place creaked at night, too. That's what I told myself all the racket was and gave me the whim-whams as I lay there staring into the darkness. Not exactly the lap of luxury I had envisioned. Word got out somehow that I'd been a gumshoe in the big city, and two months in, I was contacted by the local constabulary to help them with a missing person case. I was beginning to go stir-crazy anyway, so I welcomed the opportunity to do a little reconnoitering. 
The missing person turned out to be another old geezer living on his own, a volunteer at the local library, who nobody there much liked. I stopped by the Phineas T. Crowley Library, a sad little one-story affair that still managed to hold its head up with two columns and a couple of crumbling lion's heads out front. I thumbed through a few magazines, then headed for the checkout desk, where a big woman in a bad wig and way too much makeup stared me down like I was a known felon on questionable parole. Ma'am, I said in a whisper, acknowledging the long, painted fingernail that stabbed unforgivingly at the quiet sign. I'm wondering if I could talk to you about uh, Mr. Vernon Fish. I believe he was a volunteer here. Talk to the librarian about that. Okay. Where do I find this librarian? I asked, seeing clearly she was one of those people who expected you to make up for every raw deal life's ever handed them. During the day, she said, glancing around and whispering like she was going to reveal some deep, dark secret. The librarian is in the basement, and he doesn't want to be disturbed by anyone. Well, thank you, ma'am. I'll come back some other time. Where can I find the men's room? You can get past just about anybody by asking them the way to the men's room, which was, fortunately, just a few steps from the stairway leading to the basement. The old spiral wooden stairs were narrow and creaked with my every step. At one point, there was a sharp turn, and as I grabbed the railing and descended deeper into the growing darkness, it came loose in my hand, and I went flying. Sometime later, I came to with a nasty bump on the back of my head. I was lying on a dusty old velvet sofa, the relic of some bygone era. I couldn't see much for the gloom, but the sound of somebody shuffling around, just out of sight, made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I could hear him mumbling, but I couldn't see anybody. I tried to sit up, but I was as good as paralyzed. And a minute or two later, I saw this huge shape coming towards me. So, I hear you're asking around about old Vern. (laughs) The voice asked, chuckling to himself. You're the librarian, I said sharply, trying to regain command of the situation. Why, yes, I am the librarian. But who might you be? I don't normally tolerate intruders when I'm doing my research. But since you're inquiring after Vern, I figured I'd make an exception. Now out with it. Who are you, and what are you poking around here for? Name's Frank Enfield. I was asked by the local gendarme to look into a missing person. Your man, Vernon Fish. I'm staying here in town with a relative of my ma's. Very well, then. Very good. I already knew all that, but I was curious to see if you'd try and lie about it. He said, glaring at me with eyes that bored through me like a pair of hot brands. Oh, sorry about that. You can sit up now, he said with a wave of his hand. I just had to make sure you didn't pose any kind of threat. (laughs) He roared like he was enjoying some private joke. I sat up, taking in the sight of the place. It was lit by two dim gaslights and a few candles. Every wall was lined with shelves stuffed with books, and boxes of what looked like maps filled every corner. So, 
What can you tell me about this guy, Fish? I said, taking out my notepad. The librarian lounged in a huge, overstuffed chair, like he was the king of Siam himself. But he ignored my question. The damnedest thing, though. I couldn't quite make him out. He was just this big, dark man shape that sort of moved around like he was underwater and stared at me. Vernon Fish, he finally said. Yes, Vernon's been a bit of a nuisance if you ask me. Not sorry to see him go. He was a thief. I don't abide thieves. We loan books out to everybody. No need for thieving unless you're after a book in the archive. My private collection that's not open to the public. I keep that here in my office, behind lock and key. He explained, gesturing around the room with his arm. No, I'm not sorry to see old Vern disappear. (laughs) The man roared again, and I knew I'd get no more out of him on the subject, but that he knew exactly what had befallen the missing man. I'm sorry I can't be of more help to you right now, the librarian said, pointing toward the door. Perhaps you could come by another time and we can talk. You're living up at the Roman place with old Leviathan. He added more as a statement of fact than any question. Yeah, sure, but how'd you know? My boy, he said, shaking his head. This is a very small town and I am the librarian. I know everything that goes on here. Everything. Now, you be careful of old Leviathan, you hear? He's a friend of Vern's, and what those two old boys get up to isn't fit for the decent folks. You take care to lock your door at night. That old man? Well, you just take care and come see me in the next day or so. You, by any chance, looking for work? The next thing I knew, I was in bed back at the crumbling old mansion. I had no recollection of how I'd got there, or if that whole library thing was a dream or what. Couldn't have been, though. My backside was still sore from the fall. I dozed off and dreamed about Doug Cartwright. He was somewhere, but I couldn't see him. He was yelling my name, telling me to watch out. Then he was screaming like he was being flayed alive. I jumped up in a cold sweat my breath coming hard and the echo of his words still ringing in my ears. I felt eyes on me from all over and glanced sharply at the door. There was somebody staring at me from the doorway. It was Leviatha. He turned slowly and lumbered away. By the time I was out of bed and down the hall, he was in his own bed, snoring. I went back to my room and locked the door but there was no more sleep that night. Was I going off my nut again, like back in Bellevue? Or was there really something going on here? The next morning, when I took Leviathan's breakfast into him, he was sitting up staring at me. I almost dropped the tray when those wrinkled old lips parted, and I heard him speak for the first time. What were you doing up to the librarian's place yesterday, boy? He barked. You're talking, I yelped, and set the tray down, then dropped into a chair. I talk when I want to, see? If it's any of your business, and it ain't, 
The rest of the time, I watch. I see things. I go places in my head. <laughs> yeah. I know people like you never seen before. You know what I'm talking about. I can see it on you. I can smell it. He crowed with a weird grin, and I knew I was knee-deep back in that weird shit. I think you best get on now, he growled. Pack up and clear out on up to the hotel. I got guests coming, and I don't want you nosing around about Vern and Fish or anybody else. And I don't want you talking to that librarian fella. I was damn near tongue-tied. Usually, I got quite the mouth on me, and I've been called a wise-ass a time or two. But there's this thing when the weird shit comes over me, or even if it's just floating around the room, I get all froze up inside, like a deer caught in the headlights of some looming cosmic doom that makes you feel real, real small. Not just you, but all the humans that ever was or ever will be. Like a kid seeing something he shouldn't be seeing for the first time. So I did the only thing I could do. I'll I'll do that, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry to bother. I stammered like a chump. I'll pack up like you say and be gone. You call up there, though. You need anything, all right? I said as an afterthought and regretted it. Just get... Leviathan grumbled. But I was already getting gone, and five minutes later I was out the door and headed for the hotel, determined to call on the librarian, knowing I'd only be doing a swan dive from the frying pan into the bonfire. I made my way up the hill to the only hotel in town, the Algonquin, another run-down joint that was pleasant enough inside with clean rooms and good coffee always on in the lobby. When I checked in, the balding man in a shiny brown suit handed me keys and an envelope. My confused look drew a nod at the crisp gray missive. It was delivered a while ago, sir. The boys said you'd be checking in sometime today. It's from the library. See? That's their address, right there, he said, pointing out the obvious. Thanks, I said, tossing a quarter in his jar and heading up to 3F. Inside, I tossed my suitcase on the bed and sat down, staring at the envelope in my hands. Spidey, that voice that keeps me out of harm's way, was screaming in my head, telling me to get my butt back to New York City, ASAP. Bellevue if I had to. Any place but here. But no, that's just not the way old Frank Enfield makes his play. So I tore open the envelope and read the following words. Good afternoon. I thought you might be checking into the hotel today and wanted to re-extend my invitation to come see me at the library. Tonight, after closing, might be the perfect time. In fact, I'm afraid I must insist quite strongly that you come tonight. It won't be safe for you out there alone and unprotected and not knowing certain things. I do hope you're looking for work. I have something that could interest you a great deal and utilize your unique talents. 
Yes, yes, don't be tedious. I told you I know everything that goes on in this town, and that includes everyone who resides within it. Just be a good lad and come around without any fuss. Shall we say, 8 p.m.? Your librarian. I stared at that paper like it was a summons to high command. But I'd be goddamned go to hell if I was waiting for 8 p.m. I marched right down to that library, determined to get this show on the road. Whatever it was. It was pretty obvious the librarian, weird as he was, knew all about Vernon Fish. And my supposed step-granddaddy, not enough times removed, Leviathan Roman. And now, I was expecting guests up at the big house? I walked in the front door and was greeted by prettiest young thing I'd seen since before Bellevue, so I figured I'd try a different tack. Good morning, ma'am, I said, removing my fedora and circling the rim in my hands. She smiled and mouthed the charming little, how can I help you, with a tilt of her head. I was wondering if I could see the librarian, if he's not too busy. Well, it just so happens you're talking to her. I mean the fella, the guy in the basement. He around? I asked, getting a twinge. Basement? We don't have any basement. And I'm the only librarian since they opened up the new branch in Albany. I have to rely on volunteers to get anything done around here. But we have a very good collection, and I'm sure... I thanked her, and wandered off in search of the men's room. Fortunately, it was still there. But gone was the old winding staircase... I scoured the place, but there was no stairs. There was no basement, and I almost staggered out of there and hightailed it back up to the hotel in a daze. There, I found the librarian's letter, right where I'd left it. I grabbed it in my sweaty palms. It was real. This whole gig was all real, but something was also very, very wrong. I stretched out on top of the bed and tried to sleep. A few minutes later, I heard Doug's voice again, screaming, telling me to watch out, warning me over and over. Thing was, I was wide awake and staring at the ceiling put my hands over my ears, but he just wouldn't shut up. Doug, where are you? I yelled at the top of my lungs. What's going on? Doug's voice disappeared, and the guy in the next room started yelling for me to knock off the racket. I got up and splashed my face with cold water, then set out into the late autumn afternoon. Walking past the library, I saw they closed at 7 p.m., so I grabbed a bite to eat and downed a couple of highballs to bolster my backside. At 10 of 7, I snuck back into the library and hid among the darkened academic stacks. Soon enough, I heard the woman I'd met earlier telling everybody to clear out as it was closing time. Then, the front door slammed, the lock clicked, and I made for the men's room. Lo and behold, there was the old wooden staircase winding down into the bowels of a basement that 
swear on my mother's future grave, was not there just a few hours earlier. Careful to avoid that loose railing, I tiptoed down, and at the bottom of the stairs, I came face to face with a massive set of carved wooden doors, with no doorknob, lock, or any visible means of entry. There was, however, an ornate door knocker that I lifted and banged three times demanding entrance. The door immediately swung open, and the librarian stood towering over me. Well, aren't you the early bird? Do come in since you're here, he said, closing the door. I'm just going out on some rather urgent business, but I'll return in one hour. Wait for me here. Do not leave this room under any circumstances. Then he was gone. Just gone. I looked around the room, but he was nowhere. So I collapsed on the sofa and tried to get my wits together. That's when the thunder and lightning started in. The day had been sunny. Now it sounded like we were in the middle of a hurricane. I walked over and picked up a book. Then I heard the voices again. Doug yelling for me to save myself, get out of town before it was too late. All that kind of crap. I heard Leviathan's voice purring in my ear, saying he was sorry and he wanted me to come back to the mansion. I could stay as long as I wanted. That I should come tonight, now, right away. Then I heard Doug sobbing like a baby, and the old man laughing. After that, nothing. Like when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Minutes later, an explosion rocked the world, and even knocked me off the sofa, while a dozen voices started screaming in my head. Agony, pain, curses, and worse. I heard Doug again and Leviathan wailing like Jacob Marley in chains. And then, another voice Spidey told me was Vernon Fish, speaking in tongues and gibbering like an idiot. I curled up and laid there, shivering like a scared pup, waiting, listening. But the librarian didn't come back. Somehow, I pulled through the onslaught, and later fell asleep, or passed out more like it, and dreamed of books, ancient books, books leather-bound and out of legend, books with voices all of their own, talking in my head like they were men and women, each telling me their own story and begging me for help, pleading voices, crying, promising things I'd never dared wish for. I fell asleep after that and all the voices drifted away, one by one. When I woke up, it was 8 a.m., and there was still no sign of the librarian. I rubbed my eyes and looked around. The door was open, and a shower of golden dust filled the beams of light falling from above. I stood up and looked for my jacket. On top of it, was an old volume of handwritten notes with a letter sticking out of it. Figuring it was for me, I opened it and read the following. 
I decide to let you sleep. You really shouldn't have come so early last night against my expressed instructions. But it's just as well you did as the evening's festivities were a bit more rambunctious than I had anticipated. The book in your hand was rescued from the clutches of Leviathan Roman, where it was being tortured and had almost lost its will to live. That's right. It's will to live. Leviathan and his companions, including the nefarious Vernon Fish, had stolen this precious tome from my safekeeping, and I endeavored at great pains to rescue it. You see... The world is full of books that are as alive as anyone walking on two feet. In the wrong hands, well, let's just say we don't want them falling into the wrong hands. That is to say, any hands but mine. As I don't often leave the library, and it's a great effort when I do, and best avoided whenever possible, I need the assistance of someone like you. Someone with a knack for strange things who can keep his wits about him. Do you think it was a coincidence that you came here, Mr. Enfield? Was it old Leviathan who drew you here? Was it me? Or was it you yourself who was drawn to this place? This library? Like a hungry moth to a burning flame? Does it really matter? Leave now before the library opens for the affairs of the day, but be back here tonight at 8 p.m. sharp. Not a moment before or not a moment after. And we shall begin your library. P.S. You might want to wander past Leviathan's house on your daily constitutional. You might find the progression of things interesting. I did just that, of course and found that Leviathan's place had been destroyed. It looked like a tornado had chewed it up and spit it out, then torched the rubble. It kind of reminded me of my old office. I shivered in my heavy topcoat with the whim-whams, the touch of the weird shit on my spine. I did wonder, though, about my old partner, Doug. What did he have to do with all this? I noticed something catch the light in the morning sun, and my hackles shivered again. Tiptoeing through the muck, I picked up an object and stared at it. It was an old U.S. Army WW-1 dog tag. The name on it was Montana Z. Phillips III. I squeezed it hard and put it in my pocket. Montana Z. Phillips III was Doug's granddaddy. And that dog tag had never left my buddy's pocket since Montana Z died when Doug was just a kid. That night, at 8 p.m. sharp, I was standing in front of the librarian's door, just as he'd instructed, waiting to jump into what I knew was already well underway. I figured whatever work he had for me was bred in my blood and bones, and there was no way to face it other than full-on for Sunday and both feet in to the knees. What happened next would be a far cry from Bellevue and sure as shit certain to be a whole lot more interesting.
Private Collector was created by Aaron Vleck and Daniel Foytek and features The Librarian, created by Nelson W. Piles. Music for The Private Collector was provided by Nico Vitesse of We Talk of Dreams. Today's episode featured the voice talents of Daniel Foytek, Nelson W. Piles, and Addison Peacock. For more information, show notes, and links, find us online at thewickedlibrary.com and follow us on Twitter at thewickedlibrary.com.